Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Susan Walsh. I'm the fixer of dirty data and delighted to be your host on this podcast. I'm the founder and MD of The Classification Guru, specialist data classification, taxonomy customization, and data cleansing consultancy. And I am very excited because today I'm joined by Christian Schlichter. I should have probably checked with that, Christian. Uh, he's CTO at Meteomatics, and we are here to dive into the world of weather data, which I am really excited about. Welcome, Christian. Thank you, Susan. Hi, thanks for having me here. Uh, did I get your name right or wrong? I probably did it with a Scottish twist there. Uh, it was fine. <laughs> My name is pronounced Luchto, but it's German ah, it. kind of, so it's a bit difficult. That's all right. We like our locks and things in Scotland, so it's okay. <laughs> So let's get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Meteomatics Weather API and why it was started in the first place? Sure. Maybe let me start at the very beginning. Uh, Martin, our founder, uh, was working in the weather business for quite a long time before he initially founded Meteomatics. And he was indeed a bit frustrated about the quality of the weather forecast, especially when doing his pilot license. Basically, even though he was working in the weather business, he was not really able to forecast foggy conditions, for example, very well off flight. Oh, wow. But I guess as a, a non-expert, I kind of thought that would be something that was quite standard. Yes, that's indeed the case. But still, even short-term forecasting, especially for fog or thunderstorms and so on, poses a big challenge. And one of the reasons uh, why that's the case is that there is quite a bit of a data gap in observations. So we have a lot of data observations on the ground, all these ground stations that you see from time to time. And then there is a lot of data from the atmosphere, from the higher atmosphere, from satellites or radar data and so on. But there's not too much in situ data. And that actually sparked the idea of getting that data first. It's actually also the reason why we invented the meteor drones in Meteomatics, or it was one of the founding ideas. And adding that data basically gives you way more chances to get the forecast right. So if I may add an example here, if you ask me for the stock price of the Tesla uh, stocks for a forecast for tomorrow, then basically I have no clue what it will be if I don't know what it is now. But if I know that now it's maybe $200, then I have a, yeah. a good starting point to do a good forecast for the next few days. And it's exactly the same for the weather data or for the weather forecasts. You first need to understand very well how the weather is right now, and then you can start the simulations and do the forecasts. It sounds like all good businesses are, are started. There was a kind of gap in the market and a problem to be solved there. So with your API, what I mean, what kind of, this sounds a bit of a naive question, but what kind of weather information is available? Hopefully pretty much everything you can think of about weather data. So uh, you're right, there was this problem for forecasting that was one idea why the company was founded. The other one is also that it was incredibly difficult to get useful weather data, especially if you are 
in a basically industry setting where you don't have um, a whole group of metrologists analyzing the data, but you want to have machines or algorithms parsing the data and helping in decision making. The weather data originally was sent in huge binary blocks. That's, for example, what you can get from the national met services and the international collaborations there. But it's not so easy to get weather data on single coordinates um, exactly the way you need it. Ah, so basically, you're telling me that even weather data can be dirty data. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so I would love to know examples of, of who is using your app and, and what kind of use cases um, are, is weather data being used for? Yeah. There is indeed quite a lot of those because weather is all around us. I mean, yeah, literally it is. Yeah, so we rely on it a lot, don't we? Exactly. Everyone is influenced by weather. And the more and more we optimize processes or even use AI or machine learning to do that, the more of these parameters, or basically weather parameters, can be taken into account. So there is those customers in the um, sectors where we traditionally use weather data, for example, in energy production or trading. They have been using weather data for decades because it's uh, about renewable energy, solar and wind, most importantly, but also hydropower. Yeah, I didn't actually think about that, but that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, that's really driven by weather for obvious reasons. And if you then trade energy, you need to have a good forecast. So these are I would say the traditional customers we have or that have been around for decades. And then there is more in pretty much all sectors where it's really about optimizing processes. For example, I mean, retail demand forecasting is quite an interesting use case. We recently got a customer in meat production and they basically want to understand the weather of the next weekend because, as you could guess, that influences how much meat is actually. Yes, um, we've seen that in the UK when we've had an unusually either a, a really hot weekend and the supermarkets have sold out of all the barbecue food, or the complete opposite. It's been a complete wet weekend, and then they haven't sold anything. Um, so yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and that could really impact their production and like waste and things like that. And maybe even pricing, I suppose. If they know there's going to be high demand, they could possibly put their prices up. Yeah, I'm not aware actually of uh, dynamic pricing uh, in that. Well, maybe if they do reductions or so. Uh, but it's also an interesting use case, for example, for ski areas. Oh, um, yes. Demand-based dynamic pricing. Oh, demand-based and, and weather-based as well. So what's your favorite example of, of a weather use case? Huh, I have quite a few, actually. But one which I find quite interesting is in aviation, or may maybe two, actually. Let me start with one first. Uh, it's Airbus Seafire drones. That's a customer of ours. Uh, for those that, or if you haven't heard about it, it's what is called a HAPS, or high-altitude pseudo-satellite. Ooh. Basically, like a really large model airplane, I would say. Oh, that's probably not how they would describe it. But at least it has very long windspans of about 25 meters, but a very, very lightweight structure. 
It actually only weighs yeah, about 75 kilograms. And the reason they built it that way is that it flies in very high altitudes where they don't have to cope with a lot of wind shear or turbulence. Why they can build it really lightweight um, to have, or to prolong the flight endurance. But still, they need to start once and eventually land again. And then they need to pause, uh, or they need to pass lower layers of the atmosphere where they might have winds and shears and so on. So they need really good forecasting to plan their missions to not risk this quite expensive airplane basically passing uh, high wind layers. So that's really nice because they successfully shown how they can operate these uh, pseudo satellites or basically airplanes. And it's a, we, we had a major part in there because without these forecasts, they would not be able or would always with each flight risk to lose the airplane. Well, that could be expensive, I guess. Exactly. I think that the UK airports could have used your tool just in the last week. We've had some really bad storms. And on Sunday night, I think it was, flights to Edinburgh were diverted to Germany. Flights to Dublin ended up in France. And some even ended up in Spain because they couldn't land because of the high winds. And um, I think they all could have saved some fuel if they'd maybe just used your app to predict what was going to happen. Yeah, that's a huge use case. And it's actually not just the fuel, which is the kind of obvious thing, but also the passengers are at the wrong place. That's also kind of obvious. Yeah. But also the airplane is at the wrong place. So mm -hmm. it tremendously uh, complicates the whole planning process. And it's only about a few hours of forecast. So improving these short-term forecasts, which is what we are doing uh, with the additional data from Meteor Drones, but also with the algorithms we apply in the API, that basically targets exactly these use cases. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're making this sound very easy. Oh, we just predict it and do this. But there's actually a lot of tech behind this powering the data. So what is going on behind the scenes for you to be able to deliver this information and predict as well? Yeah, that's indeed quite a bit. Basically, the workflow starts with collecting data. As I said in the beginning, you first need to understand the, the current situation and then you can start doing forecasts. So what we do is we produce observation data ourselves with our meteor drones. That's drones that fly up to six kilometers. That yes, we have drones. We also need a, you some have drones. <laughs> That's so cool. Yes, absolutely. Are these like I guess standard size drones, or do they have to be bigger? Because you might have some like equipment measuring equipment on them. They are not significantly bigger than what you might be used to, but they are indeed developed in house. So it's not a standard drone. And the reason for that is, or one reason is the altitude. We currently fly up to six kilometers, so we are basically in the base where airliners as well are operating. So we need oh, wow. missions to be able or to be allowed to fly these drones. That means redundant energy. It means all the position lights and so on. It has different conditions for the radio. So that's quite a bit on top of what a regular DJI drone or so would have. And the other thing and who gets to fly them? That's the most important question. Uh, well, actually, it's it's bo more boring than you would have thought. <laughs> you cannot manually con 
how you could, but you usually don't manually control the drone for good reasons. One I thought you would say that, yeah, more. because I guess you need to know what's in the airspace and stuff. Exactly. Well. And you don't see the drone anyway, so you cannot control it. And for us as a company operating the drones, um, we don't want uh, one person for each drone, obviously. So it, Yeah, that would be. Yeah, but it sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And yeah, the second reason why we built our own drones uh, is also the measurement system, which is not trivial. And it is, of course, crucial to measure that data precisely. And that's the first step. So we have our own data sources and we have a lot of data that we buy from additional sources that are available. Sometimes it's also open data. That's observation data, it's model data, it's satellite data, radar data, pretty much everything that can influence the weather forecast. So you really do have like an all-round picture from all these different weather data points. I'm guessing that that's not something that's widely available. Yeah, exactly. It, more and more data is available as open data, but that doesn't mean it's easy for you as a non-weather specialist to consume because each data source has a different format. It's probably... Dirty. somehow needs some post-processing. Uh, each country does its different network so one main uh, advantage of using our api is really that you have one interface combining all that data and you can access all the data through the same interface but we don't stop there and that's quite a crucial point the api is a one-stop shop for our for weather data or environmental data but it's not just the discount it's actually adding value to the original data sets so the second step after we collect all the data is that we ingest it into our in-house developed C++ database that's basically making use of the specifics of weather data uh, to optimize for fast retrieval. And once we have all the data available in yeah, fractions of seconds, uh, we can also do a lot of post-processing to the data. So we do, for example, downscaling. And imagine that model data for weather is usually quite coarse because the whole planet has to be simulated. So what's typically available is something like a 10 kilometer resolution. And what you probably also know, even in the UK, is that nature or topography to be described in 10 kilometers resolution, that's a bit difficult, especially in areas like here where we are in Switzerland, in mountains, 10 kilometers resolution is just not enough. And what we do is a downscaling. So we take into account the 90 meters resolution that we get from uh, NASA topography data. And then we can correct for specific processes that uh, happen in nature. So we do a meteorological downscaling to further improve that data. That's amazing. I just, there's so many different uses and people who benefit. Do you, this is just a personal question, but do you look back on your predictions and then measure if they were how accurate they were and things like that? Yeah, of course. That's uh, we have a lot of automated verification scripts doing exactly that, uh, which is the basis. Oh, for... I love it! Clean, accurate data. That's my dream. Yeah, that's uh, the output. The input is usually not clean and accurate, especially if it's about observation data. Sensors can be broken. Transmissions um, are interrupted from time to time so it's really 
I mean, actually, you would expect probably that it's easy to answer the question, what was the weather yesterday at noon in my location? But it's actually not easy at all because you can have maybe five weather stations around you. They all have a slightly different value for temperature, for example, but probably none of them is where you were. So probably all of them are in a way wrong. And then you have tens of different models that provide some data for you. So in the end, if you ask what was the temperature yesterday at noon in my location, I could give you probably 50 different answers there that are all somehow in a way right. But Wow. Yeah. But you've got all the data so you can look at it. You can make it easy for us so we don't have to do the hard work. Exactly. That's the point. So in our API, we also have what we call the mix, which chooses for you what is probably the best data set to answer that question. Oh, that's good. Because I'm assuming you don't really want to have these 50 different answers and then decide on your own which might be the best. So that's what we do unless the customer really specifies specific sources and wants to know. That's really helpful because I'm sure, particularly in like retail, they don't really know much about weather. So they're looking for some guidance on which would be the best data sets for them. For For energy, for example, they really have specialists that know the advantages and disadvantages of each model. So they typically do select the option to have access to all different models or data sources. And then they can compare and feed them into their algorithms or whatever they are doing. But for the, let's say, uh, for the use cases that are further away from weather data, like retail, where it started maybe in the last decade or so, that they actually make use of that data, they're really glad that they don't have to, uh, to worry about all these different options. Yeah. You haven't mentioned what I thought might be the most obvious use case, which was in like shipping and things like that. Do is that? Yeah, that's also, heavy user of. Yeah, that's also one of the use cases. There, it's mostly oh well, it's like everywhere in logistics, it's about uh, difficult weather situations like storms and so on. Yeah, but it's also about route forecasting. We have customers doing that on the ocean, but also in the air. Essentially, it's about making use of the currents that are around and try to fly with the flow instead of Ooh, that's against smart. the flow. Yeah. And you can optimize um, fuel consumption. Oh, that's really clever. Oh, wow. So I guess, you know, in the business world, data is everywhere, but actually, you know, I can see the importance of, of weather data becoming more important in 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 areas that you wouldn't expect it to be i mean how do you see the the use of weather data growing in the future i think one point that's quite significant here is that we are still adding digitalization in different processes like more traditional uh, sectors where they didn't really make use of automations and so on are being automated or optimized and that allows to integrate all the weather data. Uh, in railway, as you mentioned earlier, that's a topic uh, to optimize processes, for example, whether they heat the tracks or not. Yeah, I was just for context, before we started recording, um, I was talking about how the, the UK rail service is pretty unreliable and is often delayed because of hot weather, cold weather, wet weather, dry weather, like any types of weather, leaves on the track. Yeah. 
And yeah, optimizing these processes needs weather data and it's, it needs weather data that's machine to machine or basically that machines can read. So an API really is a step forward here and simplifies the integration of that data. And I would foresee that to even grow in future so that we see more and more applications that automatically make use of weather forecasts. And the other... Yeah, I can imagine. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, no problem. I was just going to say that the other obvious part or the ob other obvious point here adding uh, to this is all the climate change. We see that all around that we get more yeah. extreme weather situations. Also, we have more and more people living in areas uh, with uh, more risks of being flooded close to the ocean and so on. And that also adds significance to weather forecasts or even uh, climate forecasts. Yeah, I was also thinking like the travel industry and hospitality could really benefit from this. Or, or personally, if you know, if you've booked an event outside in the summer, you want to know if it's going to be sunny or raining, especially in the UK, it's very unpredictable. Exactly, yes. And of course, also there, it's a chance for uh, hotel owners and so on to optimize whether they need more uh, people or less to make sure that they have enough yeah. capacity. So many amazing uh, use cases. Thanks so much for uh, sharing those with us, Christian. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you to everybody who's listened to this conversation. If you'd like more information on what we've discussed today, head on over to meteomatics.com. And we'll be back next week with another great episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head over to EM360Tech.com. Thank you.